You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 30, where we talk with Joe Humphreys and Jackson Riley on their 2018 Montana mule deer hunt. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Hope you're having a great day. Hope you're out there hunting. Right now, it's middle of November. Well, November 20th when I'm recording this. I just got back from Oklahoma. I spent a week chasing whitetails and on on public land, archery, and uh, I had an absolute blast. It was it was a really cool hunt. Shot a doe a couple days into the hunt, and I shot a small buck on the you know very last day I was there. I was stoked to get him. It was just really cool, man. I, I think I'm going to have to do a podcast completely dedicated to that hunt. I am going to do a blog article with, you know, showing some of the pictures and, you know, telling a little bit more of the story and, you know, and talking about my, you know, I was living out of the back of my truck and, you know, public land going in by myself completely solo. i uh, never hunted there before. So it's just, it was just fun, man. I, I, that's something if you can do it, I mean, I, I know a lot of people take hunting trips by themselves or with other people and, you know, family, friends, you know, group of couple buddies, uh, that's fun too. But when, when you get to go and, and do it by yourself, it's got a different vibe. It's a different feeling. It's you and you only, you're just thinking about your next move only. You're not worried about, you know, picking this guy up or if somebody else shoots something, you you you're dealing with that, which is all awesome. I love it, no doubt, but it's just a, it's something different. And I think if you haven't done a solo hunting trip for a week, if you can do it, I totally recommend it. It's just, it's a different world. It's, it's so much fun. And, uh, 
you know, I had an absolute blast. So look out for that coming out soon, uh, a blog article and probably a podcast on the hunt as well. So, uh, but while we're talking about that DIY public land, today we have on my good buddies, uh, Jackson Riley and Joe Umphreys, and we're talking about their recent 2018 mule deer hunt in Montana. They went out there uh, for rifle season, had a general season tag, but I was, <laughs> I'm obviously friends with them, but, you know, following them on social media and I'm, and I'm you know, kind of seeing the details of the hunt and I see Joe post a picture of his buck and then I see his dad post a picture of his buck like the next day and then a couple of days later um, Jackson's father-in-law posts a picture of his buck and then finally Jackson throws up a picture of a buck he shot so these guys went four for four on public land for their very first time going out there completely DIY and they went, they went, they batted a hundred percent, which is pretty damn amazing. Um, so we're talking to them today, today, and talking about their hunt and how they prepared, and and really getting into the nitty gritty of you know what their hunt you know looked like and how everything unfolded. Really cool story. Uh, makes me want to jump on a you know plane or drive up to Montana right now and, and go <laughs> go mule deer hunting myself. Uh, lots and lots of fun. Uh, we had some good laughs and good stories as well. So uh, let's not wait any longer. Let's get Joe and Jackson on the line. Are you the guy that's been calling Jackson from an unknown line? <laughs> yes, that's me. I'm. Uh, I've been placing miscellaneous orders and and uh, tying up your customer service line. Uh, okay, that makes a lot that's, of sense. That's me. What have you been up to, man? How, how was your season? It's actually not been too bad. I got that mule deer uh, second season rifle in Colorado, and nice. then then I got a doe and a small little buck in Oklahoma last week so it's been fun man it's been good not as good as your guys is you guys have been knocking down the muleys yeah doing good on muleys and can't find a whitetail buck to save my life <laughs> yeah Maybe what that one out. yeah what uh has it been pretty pretty slow there um we were gone the hot week they uh bucks are dropping like flies Man, like the last two weeks of both season, and about the time we got home, things have there's kind of a lull going on right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Has it been? It was. It was pretty damn cold in Oklahoma when I was there last week. Is it? Is it been cold where you're at? Has it been kind of warm? It, it's been cold enough. I shot a doe on uh, Friday. And I've still got her hanging. I mean, it's nice. It's feeling pretty good. I mean, it, it's not getting <laughs> above forty. Heck yeah! Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna set her up tomorrow night. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them hang as long as I possibly can. Yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. I've uh, well, I've actually been quarter. I quartered mine out, right? And then and then I've got this fridge in my garage that I just I stack everything in there on on racks so it still gets good air, and I just let it age for a week or two, and then I cut it up. Turns oh, out pretty well, good. I, uh, I shot that doe about 250 yards from my house. And Jackson was making fun of me when we got back from Montana. He's like, you're going to start quartering everything. <laughs> I was seriously contemplating quartering her up. 
right there <laughs> behind my house. Thanks for to do it. It is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So like when I was in Oklahoma last week, I, this one spot where I was seeing all the deer and where I shot that buck and doe, um, it's a mile back in and granted it's flat, but it's like real sandy in the river bottoms. So like a game cart would suck and you're not going to drag anything that far by yourself. So I, I was using my mystery ranch pack and you know, quartering them up and I can get the whole thing out in one hit. It was, it was perfect, man. It works out good. Perfect. So, uh, how's things going with Big Time? What are you guys, you guys just going gangbusters or what? Staying busy, man. Just keep on going. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Hey, ever since we got that advice from you that it's a dog eat dog world, we will just keep on going. <laughs> you guys bring that up all the time. We, we uh. Oh, yeah. I laugh. I laugh about that shit too. I mean, it was <laughs> that ATA show was just such a mess, man. Well, that was in Louisville a couple oh, years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> did you see Jeff killed a? Him and his brother killed muleys too. No shit. They were, they went the week after us and uh, cleaned house after we got done. I'm gonna have to get Jeff. I should have had Jeff on the phone too. Maybe I'll have to have him there on as go. a separate podcast. Be- be pretty cool Dude, big time part one big time part two white tail <laughs> guys go mule deer hunting yeah exactly exactly um so what um so how did all this begin did you guys what what uh, is this something that one of you guys just came up with and was like hey let's let's do this mule deer hunt or let's do a western trip we don't know what it's going to be and then you kind of decided on mule deer like Lay us, lay us down the background to kind of how all this started and, you know, how you decided on, you know, mule deer hunt in Montana. That was all Jackson. I'll let him take that part. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, my father and all, my father-in-law and I just, they were talking about going out West all the time. And, uh, we actually had an elk hunt planned in Colorado and, uh, it, it kind of fell through the cracks. Um, we, we had an outfitter booked and then, um, he ended up having to cancel on us. And then by that time, just a bunch of other things had changed and, and the dates didn't work out. So I kind of had a plan B, you know, worst case, we'll just go chase after some mule deer. And, uh, yeah, so I landed on mule deer, but, um, yeah. so Montana seemed like the best option. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the draw percentage, you know, it was just a general season tag and, I was trying to find areas that had uh, low pressure and, and specifically areas that I couldn't find any research on, you know, so just trying to stay off the beaten path. Yeah. So Montana is a, that, that was an OTC tag or you just get a leftover draw? Well, the general season tag, it's not OTC, but it's like a 99% draw odd. I mean, there's there's more applications than there is tags given out, but, I mean, very rarely you're not going to draw one. So yeah. if you draw that general season tag, you can hunt with rifle uh, in most of the most of the units. I mean, they have limited draw units, but uh, the particular area that I had kind of set my sights on was just a general season tag. Got it. What uh, What is a non-resident tag cost there for, for mule deer? It was just shy of seven hundred. Yeah, it's six hundred and some. I mean, it's, it's six seventy nine or something like that. It's an expensive tag, but that kind of went along with my. I mean, <laughs> we're, you were going to spend that in Colorado. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, my whole mindset was trying to find somewhere that's low pressure and we'd see a lot of deer and, and our chances of going four for four would be good on some decent deer. So, you know, I, I picked an area that's not known for trophy bucks necessarily, but has a good population of good deer. And, you know, by looking at kind of maps, there was very, very, very limited lodging and a lot of ground that was public. So I knew our chances of not getting crowded out would be good. Yeah. I mean, another thing we did, we went kind of a week earlier than what it's known for for the rut. So we kind of got there before the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I know you're, you're a Western guy now and you might be <laughs> used to seeing a lot of trucks on a trailhead or whatever, you know, where we're from, we're not used to hunting around people cause it's basically all private. So, uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> that was my, just trying to get away from the crowd. I think that was the biggest chain or hurdle we had to overcome is, don't get distracted just because you see a car park there because chances are we're going to go farther and harder than them anyway. Oh, yeah. A lot of those guys are going, you know, 200 yards off the road, glass, nope, nothing here, and walking away. We're we're willing to go two miles in. Yeah, and that was another thing, too, is that that area is known for people just to drive around and, and basically hunt from the truck. So well, it's um, for good reason. Yeah. Because as soon as we cross the state line, like, the, the big plan was to leave Thursday night, stop, get some sleep, and then drive in the next day. You know, once we get on the road, get some caffeine in us and everything, I've got like five full cans of chew, so <laughs> we don't need to stop at all. And, you got to you know, have that. We're both like, we're going. We're just, just keep driving. Yeah. We cross a line at first light. We're ready to hunt. And how big do you think that, I mean, he was 170, 180 inches. I, I would say easily one Crosses the road in front of us while we're driving on public. No kidding. <laughs> okay. I guess that's a pretty good omen. <laughs> I had a similar thing happen to me. My first uh, whitetail trip to Kansas, we roll in at night and we had this like 160 inch deer just kind of walk right in front of, you know, the public ground where we were on. And I was like, Oh my God, this, this is why we came out here. So I, I can relate for sure. You show up, you see that, yeah, that you're like, it's on. It, it was a blessed trip right from the beginning. I mean, and, and I'm going to give it to Jackson. He put some serious time into research and, oh, I bet. you know, he, he picked the unit and, and all of that, then we really, you know, once I got dad, because my dad just retired, he's 62, and I wanted to do something for him for a retirement party, so this was like the perfect, you know, the four of us going out, you know, I think it's going to be easy enough for the two older guys, you know, it's not rugged terrain, so that, you know, he picked all these spots, and then we really sat down and doing, doing the topos, and kind of just, for a couple uh Indiana hillbillies, we did pretty good on, <laughs> you, uh, on picking just kind of guessing from uh, aerials. Yeah, you did. You did really, really good. Uh, four for four is nothing to uh, to shake your head at. That's that's pretty amazing, especially for <laughs> DIY public land. Never been out there before. That's that's quite the feat. That's why when I saw those pictures, I was like, man, I got to get these guys on the show because this is this is amazing. This is something that doesn't happen every day. The, the very first after I, I shot my buck on the first afternoon by complete chance and he died within a hundred yards of where we had a waypoint to go check. I give him, it was 100% luck. 
Wow. Wow. That's cool. So, Hey, Jackson, did, did you, were you kind of contacting, um, any biologists or, uh, department officials and kind of getting some Intel that way on like age class deer or hunter numbers or all that stuff? Or did you just kind of do everything via kind of, you know, looking at maps and, you know, harvest statistics? Um, I, the only phone call I made, I, I, actually, I'll, I won't jump ahead to that. The misleading thing about Montana on general units, they don't really have an idea of harvest. It's all really estimated because you don't actually have to check in your animal and say what unit you shot it in. Oh, uh, okay. So I took those items into consideration, but, uh, you know, just trying to get creative, you can find a lot of stuff on the internet. So, um, you know, find some outfitters in the area and look at the quality of deer that they're killing. Um, what really helped me was my fishing background and, and you know, reading the maps and, and trying to get creative. Cause you know, when I, when I fished tournaments, it was the same deal. You were successful if you got creative and, and fished things that people overlooked. Yeah. So I'd kind of picked just the whole section of the state and looked for those little key areas, you know, where we could, you know, have little slivers of public land that went up in between private that looked like good, you know, pinch points that deer would be traveling. And, um, yeah. So it, it, the only phone call I made was to a BLM office trying to figure out how we'd be able to tell what roads were public or private. Cause mm, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll have to hand it to Onyx maps. I mean, that was really crucial in all my planning and uh, they had a lot of the two track roads and stuff shown, but there's not, you can't really tell what, is public or private so i had to do a little investigating there and once we got out there there was a few areas we thought we could get into that we couldn't and yep. vice versa there was a few that we could get into that we didn't think we could so yeah it was uh just basically all internet research yeah yeah so like once you kind of selected this general area did you have let's say like kind of 10 different options or five different kind of little areas that you wanted to kind of hit or zero in on or have backup plans, kind of like wh we, what was your planning process in that regard? We had so many waypoints hit that we didn't even touch most of them because actually the on the by the second day, my dad killed on the second day, and it was just we were actually heading to another spot, drove past this one on the way by like, hey it's early let's just go check that one out just by chance we we end up uh getting eyes on that buck and going from there I mean, <laughs> that, that actually ended up being our best spot no kidding no kidding so um so with this like as far as like your camping situation and like kind of your gear like what were you, were you camping? Were you uh, staying in hotels? Did you rent a cabin, pull out a camper? What what did that situation look like? Uh, you're asking for trade secrets now. <laughs> I want to know all your stuff. We, we were rough and hard, dude. We, we didn't take a sleeping bag. <laughs> we didn't take any food with us. It, it was rough. I mean, he made us, uh, he made us rough it. So once again, you know, looking at lodging situations, uh, you got to get creative. I happened to find an Airbnb, and so we had a three-bedroom house, dude. And, <laughs> no no shit. Know, the, the particular town that we were in had two motels and I think a total of 10 rooms, but nobody thought to check Airbnb, so we had a house to ourselves for a week. Wow, that's really cool. See, I that that's smart. I, I've hunted – I've done some out-of-state hunting trips um, – 
particularly the one last year in Iowa, we stayed in a motel and it just wasn't the same. Like I didn't, I didn't like that. But like, if you have a cabin or a house where y'all can be together and, you know, make dinner, all that stuff, that's like the camaraderie. That's like hunting camp feel, right? Even if it's just a house. Yeah. When you can make a meal yeah, and just be able to sit down there and plan and not be around other guys trying to listen into you. Yeah. I mean, I would like to camp it, and and I I think next year when I go back out, it, it, I don't even know what I want to do yet. But it's probably going to be a backcountry tent hunt. But this was a good one just to cut our teeth with, but still had a house to go back. Um, you know, and and I heck I learned a lot just what's necessary to bring with you and what's not. Oh yeah, it was it was interesting. You know, the size of the the pack you would take at the first part of the week compared to how we were packing by the end of the week because <laughs> I, I mean it, those things were full at the first of the week by the last day when we're trying to get jackson's tag filled i mean i've got like two bottles of water and uh some skittles and that's about <laughs> it <laughs> oh yeah I'm that's coming how, back when yeah that's how it goes you're always like oh i need this space blanket and this big emergency kit and i need my side piece and i need all this water and all this food and it's just like you can always just walk back to the damn truck, you know? It might be a mile or two, but... Throw up the toilet paper, I've got sagebrush. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that'd get a little rough. I, I think I have to take TP with me. I don't I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I'm still waddling, dude. I'm still waddling. <laughs> so, with... with... The, lights, the lights did not get cold from my pack, so I, I was good. <laughs> so, uh, with that, did you guys buy... Um, gearing up for this i mean did you guys go out and buy frame packs and you know good boots and any you know major kind of gear purchases that were kind of you know more western focused for this particular hunt uh i'll, I'll start on that one uh let's see so me i already have boots but um you know being indiana whitetail guys everything we have is super warm made to sit in the tree stand all day you know so yep. um I did have to purchase a lot of new gear. I, I went with Sitka just for recommendation. You know, everybody recommended to try it out. So um, <laughs> that that was a that was a big help because you know it, in the morning, a few mornings, you know, it's five or six degrees out and fifteen twenty mile an hour winds, and uh, it was really nice to have something lightweight that was warm because when you're active, it, it's just a totally different preparation as far as clothes go. So yeah. I had just kind of you know got a layering system where I had a base layer, mid layer, an outer layer, and I could just take them off and add as I needed. Um, but other than that, I mean, a tripod, I bought a tripod cause I never needed that in Indiana. I, um, I went with, I've, I've become a really big fan of the Midway USA apparel. Okay. And, uh, you know, just some, some heavyweight base layers and that midway stuff, man, I, I was loving it. I mean, there, there was a couple of days where it was, when we got out there, it was six degrees, but we're moving. So it, it never did get bad on us. No. And, and I was the same way. I had my own boots that I've had. I had a pair of Danners that I've had for years and they're broken and feel great. And so they get wet. Then, I'm, then I had to put them in the oven, but <laughs> the other benefit of having an Airbnb, you can dry your boots in the oven. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I who needs a boot dryer, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, set it on 250, leave the oven cracked, and you're good to go. <laughs> With foil on the bottom. 
Yeah, you got to put foil on it because the mud will get in there. <laughs> Pro tip, you don't want to. The, the, yeah, the, the biggest mistake that I made was I went way too big on my gun. and <laughs> No, not uh, you, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I bought a Savage Model 10 Precision Ashberry. And it is it is one hundred percent a bench gun. Jackson advised against it, but I did it anyway. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have to lug that thing around all week. But I, yeah, he only had to tote that thing around for maybe one hundred and fifty <laughs> yards. Yeah, because right? so, he literally shot his deer ten minutes into the first hunt, and then after that, he just played guide. <laughs> and I shot it at sixty yards. Like I, I was, I was ready to make this 400 yard miraculous shot on a monster muley and i shoot the first buck that i see because he had chocolate antlers and he he didn't go 60 yards past that but yeah so, that that was a mistake that was way too heavy so that's that's how you got yeah so that's how you got the first uh first straws because everyone felt bad for you carrying around that heavy ass gun well, and, you know, we, we paired up. I mean, Jackson's with Brad, his father-in-law. I'm with my dad. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's used to that. I'm shooting first argument. Between me and my dad, it was, no, I want you to shoot first. No, I want you to shoot first. So this deer jumped up, and he couldn't get it on. I'm pretty sure he was just giving it to me. He's like, okay, get on it. So I just raised up and shot it. It was all good. But That's the, cool. the binos... The binos were my best purchase because I got uh, Nikon adjustable magnification. So okay. I can really zero in. So I think it was, what, 6 to 15? Mm-hmm. That was nice because I could really zoom in on once I had something to focus on. Yeah, and um, how about, like, uh, Jackson, your father-in-law, and Joe, your dad, um, Did were they buying a bunch of gear too, or had they been on a few Western trips before – were they kind of in the same boat? They're buying certain items. My father-in-law, he'd done one other Western hunt, so he he was the one who recommended the Sitka stuff to me. So he he was pretty well prepared for it. Yeah, my dad's never been out of Indiana. He's one hundred percent a meat hunter. <laughs> if it's brown, it's down. So he he was just like, tell me what to take. Yeah, he didn't have much technical. Yeah, no, he did not get technical <laughs> at all. He said, just tell me what to do. Hey. But I, I think for him, the uh, the best decision uh, buddy of mine is a cross-country runner. And he let him borrow some of his hiking poles. And that, that really saved that. Yeah, that was a good decision. Yeah. I mean, that, that really. Because, I mean, he had been walking. You know, he put the, I, I did buy a, uh, a Tenzing 4000 pack. And that, that worked out for what we were doing. That size was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, I, he was taking that pack and putting, like, 25 pounds in and walking three, four, five miles a day, yeah. which helped. But until you get out there, I mean, you're walking in Indiana is nothing like what you're doing there. Yeah. But it, yeah. it did help prepare. He, yeah. He held his own. He did, he did really good. Well, that's the main thing. I mean, I, as long I, as you can kind of, you know, you don't have to be a super athlete, right? I mean, we all know anybody mm-hmm. can go out there and do it, but you know, anytime you can put some boots on and, and do some pack hikes and, and, and kind of get used to your gear and at the same time, get a little bit of cardio, it's going to, it's going to save you. Cause you got that long drive, you're tired, you're amped up and you, you get out there and you're at, you know, 8,000 feet or whatever you're at. And, uh, it'll kick your ass if you're not ready. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. And we kind of learned that, you know, Joe kind of hit on a minute ago, just, just going farther than the next guy. And we, we kind of learned our strategy was we like an area back here. You go until you get to the points where your legs don't work anymore. And you're like, there's no way I'm going to pack a deer out this far. And you go another mile and then you're into the deer. That's another good tip. I like that. That's... But it, it was just, it was just find the low pressure areas, uh, you know, that you could just really tell the the deer that we ended up shooting they were comfortable moving in the daytime they, they just hadn't been hunted yet yeah yeah so so like knowing that your dads are with you um like what what type of terrain is it i mean are you these high country dark timber box or is this a lot of like kind of sage canyons that you're you're getting into tell, tell us a little bit about the terrain a little bit of everything yeah there was a lot of barren just coolies yeah, I think I'm saying that right. Call it a holler in Indiana. <laughs> I think I think they call them coolies out there. Canyons, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, a little coolies. Was, uh, yeah, we, you know, the timber was tough. The timber was hard to hunt. We did find that out, it, but it was also the higher pressure. It had the, more deer in it, but they were hardy, harder to spot and put together a good game plan because you would spot a deer and then go to stalk on it, and you'd run into like three groups of deer on the way that you had no idea were there yeah where, where we where we capitalized was in the open country we'd see them from a really long way away and uh you know just be patient and i mean i was up on a mountaintop glass and when my father-in-law shot his with joe and i watched the whole thing from up there you know a mile away and i mean would that stock take two two and a half hours for you guys even get there we we glassed that deer at point six eight miles away and i personally i really enjoyed that open stock where you had those ravines and everything to get that that was my favorite part of the trip not pulling the trigger but i was lucky enough to watch the other three deer go down i was with jackson dad brad on all their deer and that was by far my favorite part of it was seeing the deer and then putting that game plan together on how to get to it yeah and the the open area just getting down to the bottom and, and working around knowing where he was hoping he's still there we <laughs> it worked out way too well way too many times <laughs> for sure for sure yeah so like what um what's a typical day look like for you guys obviously you'd had these points kind of picked out you you mentioned you know hey there's a little strip of blm here that might be you know pretty good backing up to this private but like you know you drive you, you get out of your nice warm bed in your house right make some breakfast you drive to the drive to you know this area right do you start driving roads and glassing are you parking before light and kind of getting off the road a couple miles and then trying to glass from a vantage point like what did a typical day look like for you the first couple of days was we would leave at first light so we could kind of see what we were doing because we weren't familiar with the area at all. Yeah, makes sense. And, uh, you know, we, we'd hunt an area in the morning and then maybe midday when things were getting slower, we'd drive and look at other public ground areas. And in between those, you can get some hella viewing of big bucks on private. <laughs> I mean, you could drive around <laughs> private ground and see just mealy bucks everywhere. So, uh but yeah, once we got an idea of some of the areas and what we liked and where we were seeing deer, then our strategy changed to we're getting out there, we're going to get up on this mountaintop before it even gets light. Yeah, yeah, I think we were, the first part of that week, it was, okay, we want to be getting out of the truck at 8, 
by the end of the week, it was, okay, we're getting out of the truck at five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd park at dark and, and, and hike back for a mile or two or even three before it even got light. But, you know, we had to know where we were going prior to that. I mean, we weren't really just going in blind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a huge mistake that I think a lot of people make. They just get excited on these, on these, uh, adventure hunts and out of state trips, they show up and they just want to, you know, whether it's a whitetail hunt or whatever, they just want to get out there and, and, and go into that area and just like start hunting. Right. But I've found, you know, from a lot of my trips, and it sounds like you guys did the same thing. You know, you kind of, you get in there after light, you do much glassing, you're driving around, you're checking out as many pieces as possible. And, um, you know, I, I've felt it's benefited me and it sounds for sure like it, it helped with you guys too. Cause you got to get the lay of the land. You don't know what you're doing. Once you figured that out, then you can kind of start, you know, getting to those spots and, 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 and figuring out from there. Yeah, that was the first piece. And then the second piece was we had to adapt because we never hunted mule deer and, you know, we're whitetail guys. So rather than try and hunt them like whitetails, I think a big piece of our success was we went in knowing we're not hunting whitetails and we need to figure out what these mule deer do. Yeah. And uh, it's not just it's not just they bed at night and they go out and feed in the morning and then go bed and then come out again in the evening and feed. It was It was totally different cycles and behaviors for sure. That was one thing that I really noticed. Yeah, yeah and it, I mean, it was for me going in. It was with a white tail. I will sit there and wait on him all day. With with muleys, uh, I mean you that was really him. fast. Blast it hard. Once I see it, I'm going to get him. Yeah, I mean we're not going to sit around and wait. Maybe he'll come to us. Yeah, we're going to go get him. Yeah, maybe one yeah, move they, or something. And, and each day, uh, you know, your your iPhone like tracks how far you walk or whatever, and uh, each day progressively got longer and longer walk farther <laughs> and farther yeah what were you guys covering yeah. i mean were you doing 10 miles were you doing five doing what what did that look like well like so joe shot his the first day then his dad shot his the next day, next day. and then a day or two later brad shot his so then i had some opportunities at deer throughout that whole time i was being a little picky um we, we spent two days where once we got the, the ogs done which was kind of the game plan from the beginning. Yeah. We wanted to get the the OGs done, yep. old guys. <laughs> and then me and Jack could really go. Yeah, so the the first three days when we were hunting with them guys, you know, it was like five, four, five-mile days. Yep. Then once me and Joe could loose, we were doing, you know, nine, ten miles. And, and keep in mind, my dad's 62 years old, and Brad had – had a pacemaker put in five weeks before this hunt. Holy yeah. shit. So, yeah. <laughs> so when, when we went to get his deer, I was pushing him to his max. Like I, I kept on looking back. Are you okay? Are you, are you good? I can't pack you out of here. <laughs> are, are you okay? I was really relieved when I saw Jackson a mile away glassing us. Like, okay, at least he can see me and he knows. <laughs> Where are we on? Yeah, yeah. kudos to him because, like you said, it, Joe pushed him, and uh, we ended up we packed that deer out four miles for him, didn't we? Yeah, yeah wow. miles. He was a rock star. Yeah, wow. But we we got up there on the deer. Um, that was actually the farthest shot. He shot that deer at two hundred seventy-seven yards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, yeah, let's get let's get into some of the details. As you know, obviously, you guys went four for four. Um, each of you guys shot a buck, which is amazing. Um, like what uh. 
tell us about some of the details. Like, so Joe, you were kind of up to bat first, or it was between you and your dad. Um, but you ended up taking the first shot. Talk, talk to us about, you know, kind of that. I know it happened quick, but I just want to walk through each one of your guys' deer and just kind of how, how everything unfolded, if that sounds good. On, um, on that first one, you know, we, we pulled up and we're glassing. We, we had seen three does right out in the open meadow. Yeah, there was a couple high meadows that we saw some does probably, I don't know, seven 800 yards off where we parked. The yeah, not, not real far. You, you saw the two in the high. I looked over and there was this little ridge and I could see just the, the head of a doe. But the ridge was kind of blocking anything else that could be with her. Jackson's like, well, I'm going to go up here to the left. I said, well, we'll go to the right. I want to see what's on the other side of this ridge. And we go our separate ways. Brad was actually sick. Yeah, first day Brad stayed in the truck. So he was in the truck. Uh, me and Dad get up there. I can still see the doe. I've got two more does out in the meadow. I was like, all right, Dad, I'm going to like just kind of creep up here and see what else is over the top of this. Stick my head up, and there's a, another doe 10 yards from me staring right at me. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, we just stared at each other for like two minutes. <laughs> that's the nice thing about mule deer, that you can get away. You can get away with a little bit more. Oh, They're not as spooky yeah. as whitetails. Well, she finally goes back down to where I can't see her through the draw and pops up on the other side with seven more does. And they all go screaming out. The buck comes out of the bottom. And what is it with them turning broadside once they get to the top of the ravine? Like every single buck that we saw, they would <laughs> yeah. like, if you jumped him, he'd get up out of his bed, go up to the top, turn totally broadside to you and stare at you. And that's, that's when I shot this one. I mean, it was just like, all right, <laughs> you're going to give it to me. I'll, I'll take it. I mean, it, it was literally just that fast. Yeah. Wow. And, so that's got to be a cool feeling to have have one down that quick in the trip, you know, right out of the gate. Yeah, that was a bonus day. We weren't even supposed to be there yet. That was on Friday. But, I mean, that was like he was close enough that we, we had the game cart and we just towed him out on that. Wow. Looking back, I probably supported him up. Yeah, now knowing that it was much easier. Yeah. Well, you didn't waste any time. Yeah, that, nope, that was just a uh, quick, fast, and easy. Rogers got required it. a little more work. Yeah, Dad's was uh, the next morning, um, and I really learned quick that I wanted to hunt a crosswind. I didn't want to be upwind, obviously, or obviously didn't want to be upwind of them. But when we saw Dad's deer, and it, it was a pretty good ways away. It was probably just under a half mile, but he was down in the draw by himself, and we had perfect terrain to sneak up on him, and dad shooting a 270 and he had told us right off the bat he was not going to shoot any further than 200 yards like that's fine you know that's that's what you want to shoot yeah that's what we'll make happen and work down there to him and we're in the bottom basically with him and i can just see the tops of his antlers so i range up there he's a 264 and i don't i was like we can't see him anyway all i can see is his antlers so I was like, we've got time. And he's bedded. He's bedded down, yeah. Is this like middle of the day, late morning? What is this? 
Uh, late morning. Late morning. Okay. And it, it, this was this was the second day there, and it was very windy. I think we had twenty oh, twenty five mile an hour wind. So I'll, I'll throw that in there for you. Oh, got it. Well, so, it gives you some room to kind of you know be mobile and, and oh, yeah. get a little closer. Absolutely. So I, I sat Dad down. I'm like, all right, you sit down, get your breathing under control, just calm down. We got nothing but time. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, he's out of the day. wind. So I get, you know, get a little bit higher elevation so I can kind of see around. And I'm looking to where it would be good. And we're going to make a move on him. Can't get out there because he's going to see us. So, Dad, we just got to go up this ridge and see where we're at. And we start climbing. Just, I mean, it wasn't a huge climb, but it was probably, what, 50, 60 feet yeah, up there? Okay. Not, not bad at all. Yeah. But left, left the packs down below. And I get up there, I mean, this was just sheer luck. When I looked over the edge, I range, he's at 202. And there was a a little rock bluff that jutted out. I could see half of his rack, his body, and his head was blocked by this rock 100 yards in between us. And Dad was on my right at this point. He can't see him at all. So, I mean, this is a game of inches. My dad needed to get back down below me, come up on my left side real slow. He comes up, takes his bifocals off because he can't <laughs> see through the smoke with his bifocals on. And he's like, okay, I can see him. I can see him. I, I don't have a rest. I was like, Dad, I can't climb back down and get the bag for you. I, I need you to find a way to rest this gun. It was kind of like when I was 12 and he was telling me how to do it, which is really cool. <laughs> Roll is reversed okay, right here. Yeah. So I'm holding his glasses. I've got the binos on the deer. He goes, you want me to shoot him in his bed? I want you to shoot him in his bed. He's at 202. I'm not getting you any closer. You can give <laughs> you can give me the two yards. It's not going to change. And he gets rested, and it was literally, he goes, okay, I've got him. I hear the safety and boom. Like within a second of it was I seen click boom. <laughs> he didn't and waste I any time told either. Him before, no, he didn't play. And I told him before, I was like, I want you to focus on that shot, but as soon as you make that shot, you need to be racking another one in. Yep. And I mean the deer literally just fell over. I mean he he never stood up. Yeah. Oh wow. His head just went down. I'm on him the whole time. He's like, Where's he at? Where's he at? He's in the same spot, Dad. <laughs> he, jumped he never moved. He never, never flinched. And we've had a lot of a lot of special times together hunting. But seeing my dad smile like that, I'm crying like a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> He's just sitting there laughing. Let's go get this son of a bitch. <laughs> he goes. He leaves me behind. I mean, he's running down here, and ended up. I mean, it was a really heavy four by five well, yeah i mean not real old all times but he was heavy old deer that real pearly white rack and uh that that was pretty special yeah that was really cool he he punched him oh yeah Sounds so like now it. He's, he's held ben on whitetail hunt with a 270 now you know <laughs> that doesn't happen time, right? <laughs> well that's no, sweet I, I really i really like that crosswind hunting because you know, you can tell he's trying to, to smell what's upwind, but he's focused looking downwind, and he has no clue on the sides. Yep. 
I'm I'm yeah, with I, you there. I, all my stocking, all my setups, I I come in, I I take the side door. I'm I'm exactly with you there, Joe. It's just yeah, they're looking down da- they're they're looking downwind, they're smelling upwind and if you can come in from the side, you can get away with a little bit more. So, that's that's the way I play it. Sounds like you guys figured that out too. 100% that rock bluff was my saving grace though. Hmm. We, we wouldn't have got that deer without it. Yeah, and once we figured out, you know, what, what they do in the wind, it made us a lot more precise on picking where we needed a glass and what we needed a glass. So, you know, once we had a windy day to figure out what it did to them, we got a little more efficient yeah. on our plans. Yeah. Were so you with, were you guys dealing with any thermals at all, or was it just kind of more just wind direction, like whitetail? We were spotting <laughs> Well, we were spotting from so far away and putting plans together that thermal didn't really come into effect. <laughs> we weren't really on top of it. Yeah, it was it was pretty wide open country. Um, yeah, for all the kills. Now, now Brad's deer, that one kind of plays into Dad's deer at the end of that because Jackson and I and Dad are down there quartering his deer up. Brad's up on the ridge, actually, where we had spotted Dad's in the first place. He's seeing deer all over the place. While they're so, down there cutting it up. Yes, but that's when we made the game plan. I was like, well, we're going to come back here for, for Brad's deer because he was seeing a lot of deer that he liked. Yeah. And we didn't go back the next day. We gave it a day to rest. We, we gave it a day to rest and uh, went back and sat in that very spot. And I think Brad was pretty hell-bent on just sitting there all day. Yeah. He, the white-tail man was coming out. And I'm like, I'm sitting there twitching, <laughs> drinking coffee. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. And, I mean, like I said, it was like 0.68 miles when we see this deer silhouetted on the ridge. And we're looking at him, and Brad kept on looking up there. And he's like, man, what, what do you think? I said, I guarantee you we can get up there. We've got the cover to get to him. We've got the terrain to, to get around. And then we saw a nicer buck with him kind of working to the left. And I, he's like, all right, let's go. Text Jackson. He he's actually looking at the same deer way off. He sees us moving. I'm texting him. We're, we're moving in. We're gonna try it. And got up there on a, a really nice ridge. Peeked over, and there was actually a what was it, four by four, right? Yeah, it was four by four browse. Four by four with browse. Yeah, nice. I, we think four the correct four. terminology on that is a four by four with browse. So it's either a five <laughs> by five. You can yep. clarify that. Yeah, it was a ten. It all makes it all equals out. Solid ten pointer. But it actually ended up not even being the buck that we were going after. It was better, and he was bedded with two other smaller bucks, and ranged him at three forty four. And Brad really wanted to get three hundred. And I said, "Okay, cool." And we're belly crawling up the ridge some more, <laughs> where I think we're about three hundred. It ends up being two seventy seven. Oh, sweet. And uh, he he took a lot of time getting ready, and I I was talking to him like just calm down. He's not going anywhere. And uh, we I think it was probably twenty minutes because it kept is my gun barrel clear in the grass. You're good, man. Whenever you're comfortable. He's like, all right, you ready? I said, I've been ready, brother. <laughs> my fingers are frozen. I'm good. <laughs> Pulls the trigger, and he's got a misfire. Oh no! And this is factory ammo, mm-hmm. and um, immediately in my mind, I know Jackson's behind us watching. 
I'm ready to text him. If it goes like that again, I'm going to text him time to get up here because we're going to need a guy. <laughs> another 20 minutes go by. He's getting set again. I mean, that got him rattled. I mean, he was nervous. <laughs> oh, that sucks. That's about the worst thing and, that can happen. Oh, he's like, okay, I think I'm ready. I'm like, now wait for the – I mean, we had some pretty nasty wind gusts. At 277, I knew the bullet wouldn't really be effective, but I was more nervous about him kind of flinching with the wind. Yeah. Ends up making the shot. The deer jumps up. And uh, I've always, personally, after seeing all these Western hunts and everything, I've always wanted to play that outfitter part where he says, hit him again. Yep. And I got to say that. He shoots <laughs> again. The deer falls back down his bed. Brad put two shots with a thirty out six within two inches of each other. I mean, this, wow. this deer had no just <laughs> smoking twice. Too perfect. It, it, the second shot was not necessary, but he was standing, so I was like, "You got to kill him." Yeah, yeah, wow. So, like this area where he he shot this buck, or you know, Brad, and then your dad, Joe. What? What kind of made you think, or why were these deer there? Did it have a little bit of everything, like cover? Was it secluded? Um, why were all these deer in that area? I think I'll wrap that up with mine. All right. Yeah. Let's do it. So uh, we'll just go in chronological order here. So this was Monday when Brad shot his, or Sunday? Monday. Monday. It was Monday because Monday, Sunday was the day of rest. We, we keep yeah. holy the Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. So I had... I, you know, while they're chasing that one, I, I had stocked up on some bedded bucks, but, you know, I was being a little picky and, and, uh, you know, they weren't quite shooters. So I wasn't being a little picky. I was being pretty picky. So, <laughs> uh, knowing that Brad was about to shoot that one, I was like, man, I've got, I've got like four days left and we've went three deer in four days. And basically one was just a rest day anyway. So, um, you know, the next day, Joe and I, we covered like nine miles of a new area that I really liked, but it was extremely rugged. So I'd kind of saved that for when I could get out of, get after it either by myself or with him. So yep. we went way back in this really rugged area and I bet we saw maybe six or seven shooters back there, a couple just absolute studs, but we were so far back, we were on the edge of the private ground and, uh, and, and those deer, man, they know the lines. And, um, yeah, so we, we had gotten into this area set up glass, a couple bucks from up there. They weren't very big. And then we got a glimpse of a real big one that skylined himself over the mountain over our shoulder. So it was, I don't know, maybe three quarters of a mile away. So we hauled ass up there and crested that hill and not really knowing what's on the other side. So, you know, we had to kind of crawl up and we go over that hill and it's just a big timbered canyon and he just disappeared into it so we're kind of like well crap uh you know what do we do now so we sat up there for a minute and in one of the meadows like another mile away was two studs and i'm looking at the onyx maps and i'm like man they're like right on the line like i don't know we can just kind of work our way there and get a closer look and get a gauge of where they're at yeah. so we start slipping through the timber and all of a sudden four by four and three does pop up and uh i probably would have shot him but i didn't have a real clean shot and once again i was being picky so they never really ran they kind of worked their way away we and then we get out to the first meadow and um saw a real nice I don't know, was he a four by four joe yeah 
Yeah. A real nice one. Like, definite shooter. But he never gave me a shot, and they walked. They were right on the line. They ended up walking into private. So we couldn't go after them. And, uh, and and by that time, the ones that we originally put in the stock on, they disappeared. So, you know, that, that whole area, that's, it was just really hard to kill a deer in, but there was obviously deer everywhere in there. Yeah. And so we kind of had that in the back of our mind. We ended up going, so the, the next day we went back to a, an area kind of by where Joe shot his. And by that time there was like nine, nine guys getting out of a truck. Uh-oh. Where we had parked. You could definitely tell the bucks were starting to chase, but I'm pretty sure somebody that was from Wisconsin called every hunter in Wisconsin because <laughs> all the plays were cheesehead. Yeah. So we get back there and we're like, well, hell with this. There's too many dudes here. So They're probably uh, doing a good deer drive. Yeah, man, I don't know. So I told Joe, I'm like, by this time we'd kind of gotten a pattern. Like if you had an area that had, you know, these three ingredients, then chances are you're going to see some deer. So I was like, hey, do you see that that kind of meadow? And it, and it had some canyons and some cover. I said, let's just go sit on that because we only had like an hour of light left. So we sneak up there. We get a good glassing spot. We sit down. About four minutes later, these three does walk out. And I'm watching the does, and all of a sudden, a just absolute giant walks out behind those does. And, I mean, just he uh, was like – he was epic. I mean, it's hard for me to judge me, <laughs> but you know, we're talking over 180 inches pretty easily. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm like freaking out. I'm like, all right, I'm glad I've been picky because this dude <laughs> is like, you know, is going on. So we kind of we checked the property lines, and we got a ton of public ground between us. We put together a game plan, and you know, looking at it, they'd kind of come out of this canyon, they're feeding in this meadow, and they should have fed right to us. So we kind of assumed that, made a big loop around to make sure the wind was right, and set up on this meadow so they'd feed their way to us. And uh, we we kind of sat there, and they just, they never showed up. So I'm like, well, we're just going to have to kind of press around this hill and, and see where they're at. And long story short, they, they didn't feed out in that meadow because they were walking the private and public line and they ended up going up a mountain to prevent going on the public ground. So they knew exactly what they were doing. Oh, wow. And, uh, so we, you know, knowing that deer was in the area, if, if we had some room to work with, I would have just stuck it out in that area, but they, they ended up going up into private ground and we couldn't chase them. So, uh, it got down to the last day, the last morning, and we had these areas with bucks, but, Roger and Brad had shot both of their bucks within like 200 yards. And these guys are like, you, you just need to go back in there. And I'm like, man, I don't know. I feel like we've done milk that for all it's worth. And it, it took some serious persuading because, I mean, I was on the same boat. Yeah. I, I was with Dad, Brad. I was like, man, let, let's go back and hit it again. That, so the options <laughs> were the super steep terrain timbered area where we knew there was a lot of bucks, but it was going to be really hard to connect with one just because they had the major home court advantage there. Or yeah. – where Roger and Brad had shot theirs, and it was a totally different scene. And back to what I said earlier, we were trying to find unpressured areas. The average guy would have driven by this access area and not even stopped because it just looked desolate. You drive by there, and it's like, man, if there's deer out there, I'd see it. But uh, so I I ended up just um, deciding to go, go where they had shot theirs and just hoping we'd run into one more. I was jumping for joy. Yeah, <laughs> it was a big debate. I'm telling you, dude. We we sat there for like two hours, and I'm like, I'm all rattled because 
I was comfortable all week and now I'm down to the last morning. I'm like, man, we, we got to do this four for four deal. And, uh, I was kind of kicking myself cause I passed up some pretty good deer and they got, they got down to the fourth quarter really quick. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it, it, it got down to the wire quick. So I'm like, all right, I made my decision. We're going to go back to, I don't even remember what we had that area nickname at the point in time, but we decided to go back. We're like, all right, we're gonna get there like five in the morning. We already know where we want to go glass. And, uh, so we hiked back in the dark and being in the dark, we're on the wrong ridge. Once it starts getting lights, we're like, crap, we were close. We were just one red top. And he's giving me credit. It was 100% me that took the wrong turn. Yeah. I'm like, no, we're going the right way. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I've done this every time. So we end up on the wrong ridge. So we have to slip over on the other ridge where we actually wanted glass. And, uh, we kind of had the expectation, you know, we got two carcasses basically within a couple hundred yards of each other down in this valley. And we kind of figured we would have to pass those up and hunt beyond those because we figured that area would be kind of tainted. And that, well, that was that was kind of my mentality of going in that morning was we were go gonna, hard, get past the purposes. You were yeah. trying to slow me down the whole time. Hey, man, we still need to keep on glassing. I'm like, no, let's go, let's go. <laughs> yeah, so me and Joe were kind of having an argument. You know, Brad, you know, these carcasses are almost four miles back. So we were going to go beyond those. And we're like, hey, it's the last day. Who cares if we burn out our legs, whatever. So now, now keep in mind, though, before we even got out of the truck that morning, we'd already decided no matter what, Brad was going to pick us up at noon. Yeah, yeah, Brad was going to pick us up at noon. Like, we're getting on the road that day. Oh, wow. So, I mean, this is yeah. absolute, not even fourth quarter. This is OT. So I'm telling Joe, <laughs> hey, we need to slow down. Like, let's sit here and glass on this ridge for a little bit. And he's like, oh, let's go ahead and cross this canyon. So we we take about two more steps, and sure enough, like four does come hauling out of this canyon right below us. And uh, we, But we've been glassing right there, too. We had, but that, it was a quick. I mean, like I said, it, it, it is open country, and you'd think you'd see any deer in there. But and they, when we got snow on, too. And it was snowy. Yeah, we had we had a few inches of snow that night. Mm, so, yeah. Uh, Sure enough, these does kind of jump up, and, and, and they weren't super spooked, but they knew something was going on. I think they heard us. They just kind of hopped out of canyon and stopped, and I'm like, ah, you know, it's just three does. And then Joe's like, oh, dude, bucks, bucks. And I'm like, no, they're does. I'm looking at them right now. He's like, no, right below them, you know. So he's watching <laughs> these does run off at 400 yards, and I'm staring at this really wide bucket, 300, going, dude, shoot the buck. I'm like, they're does. And finally, I see the buck, and uh, and they're you know they're not really running; they're just kind of trotting and stopping. But you know, I had my pack on and my gun, so I, I flung my pack off and got my gun up. Had to get my scope covers off, get the safety off. I adjusted my zoom on my scope, and by that time, that buck was just kind of trotting. And, and Joe goes, "You want me to stop him?" I'm like, "Hang on!" And I got my gun up, and I said, "Okay." So Joe made some strange noise, <laughs> gave him the old white tail bat, but that didn't work. The man didn't work. He, so, yeah. so he gives it a grunt or like a bleat first, and I, I'm watching this deer through my scope, and his left ear turns back. He'd heard it, but he didn't really register it. So then Joe does this weird coyote sound. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. He's not, he's not going to do it. Does it, it sound was, like a Bigfoot? I don't know what it was. Something it like very that. well could have been a Bigfoot call. And so then that deer's like, what? And he turns around and stops broadside, and, uh, and I smoked him. So, wow. yeah, we, it was uh, – so – Basically, where that deer dropped was about 100 yards from Roger's gut pile and about 200 yards from Brad's gut pile. So uh, that that area is now named Death Valley. For Holy sure. shit! That, that's what it's 
That's what it's saved as on my uh, <laughs> on my map. And no, you cannot have the coordinates. <laughs> yeah, I'll be and, I'll be expecting uh, Onyx <laughs> Hunt text to come through from you guys. I, I need to know where that's at. Yeah. So you know, I I think just in my opinion, that area it was a canyon that was far enough back that nobody would go hunt. They basically climb that first mountain in, in glass and not see anything. And we would just get over the second major ridge. And, uh, and it was just a major crap travel corridor between private. It mm-hmm. was just, it was laid out just right. And it was laid out just right for the wind that we had too. So it was just constantly reloading. We'd get another shoot a deer, let it rest for a day, come back and there's <laughs> a new deer, shoot one, give it a day rest, come back. And they were there again. So, it was just it had all the right ingredients. Yeah, Death Valley. To me, the the areas that we we hunted and walked that were really close to the river, it seemed like more and more deer were getting down into that river valley each day as the rut was really kicking in. Yeah, they were migrating. They were leaving behind very to get down into those bottoms, and this was far enough away from it that it really hadn't started drawing those deer from that area or they weren't going to that area yeah because i mean we found some great sign i think it was the second day we were walking when we saw the elk when we saw a big elk yeah Yeah. and i mean you could tell these deer had been in this area within the last couple days i mean beds everywhere fresh sign everywhere and they were just gone and i they were all in the river bottoms. Yeah, we were near a river, and in a lot of the areas we're hunting were just basically the immediate high ground from that river. And uh, just, I think, basically early in the week, they were still up in the high ground. And, and just in that, you know, five days we were there, they had all migrated down. So this other area where we ended up killing all these deer, I, I, I don't think they really migrated from. It was more of a wintering ground. A lot changed in five days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this was we, like we early November, right? First week? Yeah, yeah. And, it, it. you know, like I said, last day we had two, three inches of snow and, you know, it was five, six degrees the last couple mornings. And, and you could tell at the meat processor, the deer were getting progressively bigger because mm-hmm. we kept going back to the, the meat pack. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, another one. Oh, another one. Another yeah, he one. Name, yeah, he knew it by name by the end of the week. <laughs> like, I mean, he, he, was, uh, he was a cool guy. But you, for public land guys, you guys are doing good. You can tell, you can tell that we shot each deer further and further back because Joe's comes in the whole carcass. We carted him out, and then his dad <laughs> came in with bone-in quarters, and then the last two were boned-out quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Shaving weight, yeah. When you go fur, farther yeah. back yeah, like that, was, every pound, uh, every was, pound matters. Yeah, for sure. Dad's was bone in with most of the neck by the by Jackson's. I mean, all the necks off of it were right up to the skull plate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was we were getting good. By, by no means are we uh, we up there with you yet, but we're we're getting there. We're oh, trying. Man. Hey, I'm I'm still learning this too. I'm uh, by no means uh, know what I'm doing, but it oh. sounds like you guys got it figured out, man. That's that's amazing. I mean, like. Like I said, when I when I saw the pictures and you know I was basically just watching day by day on your Instagram, uh, you know all these pictures come through and I'm like, damn, Joe got one. Okay, his dad got one. I was like, oh, another one down. And then Jackson showed up with that fourth one. I was like, Jesus, man, these guys just killed it. Indiana boys are on something. <laughs> you were you were right, man. Though you hit the nail on the head. It, it was it was definitely cool. You can get away with a lot more of the mule deer, that's for sure. And I think that helped us 
coming from whitetail country. Oh yeah, yeah. When if you can stalk or you know get get within bow range of a whitetail, you can certainly uh, you know get within rifle range of a muley for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, but you know to to your um, you know point two, Jackson. I mean, sounds like you did a lot of preparation and a lot of scouting and a lot of planning and. And that too, I think, was where successful hunts are made. You know, you can't just go out and wing an out-of-state trip and be like, "Oh, I think this spot looks good." Sounds like you really did your homework, and I think that played out pretty uh, big for you guys. It eliminated a lot of time in the truck. I had like thirty-some areas picked out of huntable areas, and then once I did that, Joe and I sat down and kind of picked our top three or four that we really liked what it had to offer, and you know, just having that narrowed down saved it. A ton of we didn't even have to really scout i mean the hunting was scouting but we kind of had our minds made up and, and i could i could see how you could get overwhelmed if you if we didn't have that game plan already because yeah. i mean it, it's awesome out there there's so much opportunity and so much land but if you don't have a game plan and you get out there man you can just get overwhelmed and just want to try to cover everything and end up spending your entire day in the truck i think the other important part we always had a b and c plan too you know, we always knew where we wanted to go, but okay, well, if there's five trucks there, then that's probably pretty crowded. But there there was never really that, well, if this happens, then we're going to do this. I mean, we all, there was never a panic mode or anything. Yeah. I think that really, and I, you know, having your, one of your hunting buddies is your boss helps too, because he'd come into my office and be like, what are you doing? I'm like, working. <laughs> well, he's come on, we got to look at this map real quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm good with it. Hey, that's working too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So are you guys you guys already planning for next year or what what is what does that look like? You know, well I'll, so I never did finish my story on you know, I told you how we ended up mule deer hunting, but I I, I had to basically twist Joe's arm to get him to come on this trip. <laughs> like I'm like, dude, I've been putting in for points out west, like you need to come out here and, and, and I it just worked out he wanted to do something for his dad, so he came along and we were not even on the road for five minutes, and we were already talking about what we want to do next year. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, after seeing all those uh, speed goats out there, I definitely need an antelope. Yeah, we're going to have to find some pronghorn next year, I think, is, is going to be the four guys fun trip like this. And then, and me personally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an elk hunt. I'm, I'm not quite there on elk yet. I mean, I'm not saying I'll never do it, but I'm just not amped up yet. I am. I, I know. <laughs> well, you'll you'll get your arm twisted, Joe, and then you'll cu- you'll oh, catch that bug too. So just be aware. <laughs> what solidified that was when we were sitting there glassing one morning. And there was five giant bulls feeding in a meadow out in front of us, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I got that." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's when like we're sitting there, we're watching the sun come up, watching these four big bulls. But man, we're back here good now. If if we got this many elk walking yeah. down with us. We're, we're we're back here in in no man's land. Yeah, it, you know you're in a pretty uncharted public ground when there's, I mean those were all like mid three hundred inch bulls. Oh wow, giants! And, and they're on they're on public ground. I mean like if we had an elk tag, they were on public ground. They would have been fair game. So from <laughs> my extensive experience with elk, and yes, I would say they're three hundred. They were big mature bulls. I mean I've looked at enough pictures, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool, but guys. That's cool. Oh, the yeah. other surprising thing is the size of the porcupine. Yeah. Oh, porcupines. They're huge. 
<laughs> I always pictured them as this like little rodent, like the size of a coon. They are they are big. Well, I think it depends on where you're at too, because I've seen some pretty small ones, you know, in like Michigan. But yeah, out here in the west, I've I've seen them pretty big in the mountains. Yeah. You guys see any cougars or mountain lions? Nope, didn't run across any of those. They know better. Yeah. (laughs) We've got our beards drawn. Nobody Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Well, that's cool, man. That's a hell of a story. Four for four on public land, first time out, DIY. Uh, sounds like a great first Western trip and, and, uh, yeah, hopefully people listening to this, they can kind of hear the inspiration and get out there and do it themselves. I think it's like what you guys did is something everyone needs to do. It just sounds amazing. Yeah. The, the satisfaction of doing it all DIY was, was really what did it. I mean, I ended up shooting a really good deer and you know, you could have been half the size or whatever, but just, you know, we did it all on our own and had a great time with our family, but, uh, it was it was definitely a lot better experience doing it that way. You know, we could have hired an outfitter and kind of had our hands held or something, but that was for me what the best part. Yeah, to me, when when we go to the the little restaurant drinking hole, you know, we're the four of us are walking in covered in mud, blood, and cow shit. <laughs> And the rest of these guys are in their brand new camos talking about how they saw some deer from the road. We're all just kind of sitting there keeping quiet, drinking our, drinking our beers and <laughs> just kind of smiling at each other. Be like, yeah, we did that on our own. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Well, cool. Well, great story guys. Appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll see you here just in a few months at the ATA in Louisville. We'll be there, brother. All right, and there it is, another episode in the books. Big thanks to Joe and Jackson for coming on the show. Love you guys. You guys are my friends, and appreciate you coming on here. Can't wait to see you in a few months at the ATA. Um, but, man, that was a cool story, wasn't it? I mean, for them to go out with, you know, basically no knowledge, never been out there before, uh, do it yourself, public land, and to go four for four on mule deer bucks is is pretty amazing. That doesn't happen very often, and uh, that's why I had him on the show. I just had to hear the story. Hope you guys really enjoyed that. It's it's something that's inspiring, and you know, for them to go out there and share that experience with their fathers, it's just that's what it's all about. I mean, to go out there and you know have success on on one deer or four deer, but that time spent a field. And the memories that they've made is something that they'll be able to kind of, you know, pass down and, and cherish for the rest of their lives. That's uh, that's really cool. So, again, congrats and hats off to Joe and Jackson. Um, I hope you guys go out there and, and do it for yourself, um, whether it's Montana, Colorado, uh, muley, whitetail, pronghorn, elk. It doesn't matter. Just go do a trip. I can't stress that enough. It's It's seriously the best thing you can do. Uh, whether or not you kill anything, who cares? It's, it's something, it's an experience and, uh, memories made. So, uh, yeah, hope you, hope you guys like it. This is episode number 30. I can't believe I've done this. This is going on over a year now and, uh, I'm still getting lots of good feedback. People sending me emails, uh, saying they love the content. So we're going to keep doing this. I'm going to try to get into some more of the product companies, you know, gear podcasts as we kind of wind down off the season here and uh, get more into the the heart of winter. 
So look out for some of that stuff. I'll probably do one on my Oklahoma hunt. That was pretty cool. And I've got some hunting still left in the bag. I've got a late season cow elk rifle tag for Colorado. So we'll see if I can put a little bit more meat in the freezer. I uh, got three deer and wouldn't mind wouldn't mind an elk. That would that would, I'd be able to eat elk and deer and venison for pretty much any day of the week if I end up taking an elk down. <laughs> so um, we'll see how that goes. But um, today's podcast is brought to you by Heads Up Decoy. Definitely check them out. Lightweight, portable decoys, elk, deer, pronghorn, turkey, uh, mule deer, and whitetail. So check them out at headsupdecoy.com. And that is it. Before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation Big Game Feed. That's where Transition Wild Podcast comes out every two weeks. So make sure you subscribe to that. You can go to sportsmansnation.com. You can go to Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, leave a review. If you like what you're hearing, leave that review. It would be much, much appreciated. Check out transitionwild.com. I still got the Colorado Beginner Elk Hunting Guide. So if you're starting to plan for the following year, that's a really good resource to go and get. Um, all you have to do is give me your email. I won't spam you. Just just give me your email, and I'll send that to you for free. All right. I have went on long enough. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.